We are in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 once again. We were looking just at three verses today. Uh, we touched on it last week, and I uh, kind of told you last week that we would be revisiting uh, this passage here. It's a, it's a rather deep passage. It, Paul, the Apostle Paul just speaks about something very quickly, but it's a very deep passage that deserves a lot of attention and consideration. Scott, could you give me just a touch more? I feel like I'm kind of having to push and my voice is going to give out. Thank you so much. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9-11. to 11, The Apostle Paul has been talking about the assurance of the resurrection. He's been talking about how our body is like a tent and we'll put it off someday. And that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that when that happens, there's an event that's going to happen when we go to be with Jesus. And this, he's speaking of Christians now. When, when the Christian goes to be with Jesus, something takes place. And it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It's also known as the Bema seat. And I'll be explaining some of this as we go. So let me read these three verses. Verse 9. Since all these things are true that he's been saying about being absent from the body and present with the Lord, since all this is true, therefore we make it our aim. This is our deliberate intention. This is our trajectory. This is what we do. We make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord... We persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. So, this is a bit of a confusing idea, this idea of judgment, and uh, in some ways appropriately frightening, and in other ways inappropriately frightening. So we're going to be dividing some things up, and Lord willing, setting things in place. By the way, regarding this idea of the Bema Seat, or the Judgment Seat of Christ, this is not an exhaustive study. There's, there's a lot more here than, than what we have time to cover and, and so on and so forth. So uh, if, you're, if other thoughts come to mind, I'm, I probably will miss a few, but we'll definitely get a good footing on this idea about the judgment seat of Christ. The Bible speaks of two judgments, two different kinds of judgments. One is for the person who decides that they are rejecting the love of God, that they don't want God in their life, they don't want Jesus Christ in their life, they are not born again. The Bible says the wrath of God still abides on them, that they die in their sins. Um, there's just a refusal to accept the goodness and the mercy and the love of God, and particularly the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. There's lack of interest, refusal, strong refusal, casual indifference, whatever the case may be. That event where those people are judged is called the Great White Throne Judgment. And I've listed the verses here in, in the notes so we don't have to be turning to a lot of different verses. So this, this is uh, found in Revelation chapter 20. The, the Apostle John is the human author of the book of the Revelation and he's having different visions and dreams, uh, really visions from the Lord about things future. And he says, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were opened. So plural books. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, singular. The words the book in that are in italics. So literally it's, I saw books were opened and another book was opened, which is of life. But the translators just add that for kind of the flow of the English, English language. 
Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, plural. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. So those people that died not in faith, that went down in the ocean or in Lake Berryessa or whatever, you know, the sea gives them up. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Each one, everyone, every single one that dies outside of forgiveness in Jesus is judged according to their works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. Death and Hades are kind of another term for hell. And hell is the temporary abode of the unrighteous dead. And it will be done away with. And there's really a worse final destiny called the lake of fire. The important thing is to understand that for the unbelieving person, for the person who says no to God, who the Bible says is guilty against God, there is eternal punishment. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. First death, of course, is the physical death. The second death is the spiritual death. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So the Apostle John tells us about two Two scenarios. There's books, plural, which have presumably the names and activities and the lives of everyone that said, no, I don't want God in my life. On the other side is, the, is called the book of life. And if your name is listed there, it's because you've come to the Lord and you've said, God, I've sinned against you. I've sinned against people. I've broken your laws. I haven't done the things I should. I've done the things I shouldn't. I recognize that my own heart even condemns me. I recognize, God, that you've given me a conscience and I've sinned against my conscience. I've recognized that, that there is such a thing as justice because I see it in the world and I expect it in the world and why shouldn't I expect it from you? And Lord, I'm guilty before you. Please forgive me. And that's the essence, really, of the gospel. That's the beginning of the gospel. I've sinned against you, God. Please forgive me. And Jesus died for those sins. God doesn't forgive somebody just by sweeping their sins under the rug. Sin has to be paid for. And either the person will pay for it or you can accept the fact that Jesus already did. And when a person says, you know what, I'm guilty. Forgive me. That person's name is written in what is called the book of life. And if their name is in the book of life, their name is not in the books. If your name is in the books, you're judged according to your wrongdoing and punished. This is, this is an eternal punishment. This is a once and final for all punishment. It happens to every unbeliever. I hate talking about it. It's awful. It's awful to think about. There are some Christians who just do not want to believe that God would punish anyone. doesn't bring any joy to my heart. I mean, maybe a sense of, of justice. You know, when somebody does something wrong and, and we see a judge deliver a just sentence, we have a sense of, you know, that's right. That man, that woman broke the law. They, they should go to jail for a while or whatever the case may be. We all have a sense of justice, but to imagine it for eternity, it's a hard thing and it's a sad thing and it's a grievous thing, but it's a true thing. And if I'm going to be a Christian, then I need to accept all of the Bible or I need to... I can't pick and choose what parts of the Bible I like. And God says there's an eternal judgment. And really that's part of what Paul is... is alluding to in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul was, Paul was persuaded that God had every right, that God is a holy God, a loving God, but he's a just God and he'll judge wicked people. 
He should. And there's no sliding scale and there's no sweeping things under the rug and there's no purgatory and there's no reincarnation. I mean, I know some people believe in reincarnation. They have that right. But you don't see it in the Bible. You don't see purgatory in the Bible. You see, we have this one life to live and after that, the judgment. And so this judgment that I've been alluding to is called the Great White Throne Judgment. That's the name that's been given to it by Christians and by teachers and commentators and scholars and such. How do you avoid the Great White Throne Judgment? That should be the first thing on everybody's mind. How do you avoid that? You can't run from God. There's there's nowhere that you can go to hide from Him. You can't make a deal with Him. He doesn't make deals. Well, actually, He does make deals and you you, you have to accept His deal. He doesn't accept your deal. He offers you a deal. Would you like to be forgiven? And hopefully everybody in this room is saying, yes, I do want to be forgiven. Forgive me. Look at some verses there. If we have confessed our sin and received Christ, we are saved and we will never be at the great white throne judgment. We will never be there. You guys know these verses. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We don't earn salvation. It's a gift that God gives us. Christ died for our sins and says, If you will, if you will receive this, I have paid for your sins. If you will receive what I have done on your behalf, I am the substitute for you. If you'll receive that by faith, by God's grace, unmerited favor, you're forgiven, you're saved. John 5.24, Jesus said this, Most assuredly I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life. It's really simple. If you believe in me, hear my word, believes in him who sent me, you have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but you've passed from death to life. You've passed from being dead to God to being alive with God. Jesus used the phrase right there. You shall not come into judgment. We can't accept Jesus simply as a good moral teacher and an example and a nice guy and you know, a philanthropist and, and all that kind of thing, even a miracle worker. If you're going to accept him, you have to accept him 100%. And he said, if you believe on me, you will not come into judgment. What's the implication? If you don't, you will. And guys, we have to remember, it's not God's desire that any should perish. He says that. It's not his desire that... God says of himself, behold, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He's not up there kind of going, ah, I got another one, ah, I got another one. You know, it's like, he's not some kind of nefarious, wicked uh, creator or something like that. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But Jesus said, if you believe in me, you won't come into judgment. The implication is, if you don't believe in me, you will come into judgment. And those aren't my words. I would, I would, I would have to be a lunatic or on drugs to say something so bold, to make something up. Those are his words. Either I believe the Bible or I don't believe the Bible. And, and God's revealed enough of himself to my heart in various ways to, for me to believe that the Bible's true. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. If you're in Christ, there's no condemnation. There is no great white throne judgment. And he, he, uh, Paul gives us a little bit of an indicator of what those lives look like. This isn't a command, it's more of an indicative statement. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. By the way, they are those people who don't walk according to the flesh. Does it mean we're perfect? No, sometimes we do give in to the flesh. But there is the impact and the influence and the, and the, and the pro- 
propulsion of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. And so even if you're agreeing with what I'm saying, it's you're saying, you're saying yes to what God has already said. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. If you're saying, Lord, I don't live like I should, but I'm sure glad you've forgiven me, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation for you. So that, that's, that's the great white throne judgment. If you're a Christian, you'll never face that. Christ died for you to save you from that. Amen, anyone? <laughs> good news, good news. I'm going to go off my nose for a minute. I have freakish dreams. Anybody else? Any other dream freaks out there? Okay, yeah, dream freaks unite. I have freakish dreams. I, I dream things like uh, I, I just got done uh, showering in the men's locker room and I have a towel around me and I can't find my locker. And then I find it and I can't remember the combination and it's time to go to class and I'm with my towel. It's a nightmare, yeah, exactly. Especially for the other people in the dream. <laughs> or I, or I, I, show up to, I show up to school and it's like, what class do I have? And, and I think I have a test today and I don't remember what it's about and I, I feel totally caught off guard. I don't know if there's any psychologists in the, obvi- in the audience you are probably just thinking, this man needs counseling or something. I, I probably do, okay? I'm just telling you. I have these dreams where it's like, what did, what did I not do right? I did something wrong and I wasn't ready for it. Or I have these other dreams. I used to have a gardening business down in Orange County. And uh, I, sometimes I, I dream about I'm out gardening and then I realize I forgot to go to the Wilson house for the last three months. <laughs> they probably fired me. Oh no, what am I going to say? Anyway, I have these weird freakish dreams, you know, like that. And, uh, and, and those are just the, the lighthearted ones, Okay. But, it, but I wake up kind of sometimes even in a little panic and it's like, okay, calm down. It's just a dream, you know. But this is not a dream. Imagine just saying it's not true, 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 and then suddenly dying and it's true. And you're like, oh my gosh. I've been a fool. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. God's awakened our spirits. He showed us that we need him and we've just simply said yes. We're not better than other people. Sometimes we're to the eye, to the naked eye, worse than some people. Churches are full of people and people have problems and and no news to you guys. But we're forgiven and there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ and there is no great white throne judgment and you're not going to wake up someday saying, oops, And it comes by those things and many, many other verses about being saved through faith, by the grace of God, so on and so forth, believing in Jesus, no judgment, etc., etc. Great white throne judgment off the table. If you're not a Christian today, you know, we don't twist arms here and we don't use spiritual pom-poms and pump you up and not going to do that, you know, none of these things, not... I'm not going to manipulate you with an organ or music or woo. I'm not going to, I don't speak in King James English. None of those things, you know. I guess I shouldn't knock anybody that does, but whoever thou art, you know. But <laughs> we're, not, we're not going to manipulate you. We're just going to say this is what the Bible says and just think about it and choose to believe it or choose to reject it. But if you reject it, you better have a good reason and be able to explain it. And I've heard it say, and it's become a cliche, if I'm, if I'm right, you have everything to lose. If you're right, I have nothing to lose. If there's no Jesus and there's no heaven and there's no hell and no great white throne jug, I don't regret living like this. 
I'm glad. I needed it. I still need it. And so, we, you know, we don't twist arms here. But if you're not a Christian, then you better think about these things. You better think about them. If you're a Buddhist or a Hindu or, a, or just a free thinker or a humanist or whatever, okay, fine, that's fine. Compare, do, a, do an honest side-by-side comparison of what you embrace about life and what the Bible says. Just do an honest side-by-side comparison and set, come to these conclusions in your own heart. The great white throne judgment is for the unbeliever. And if you're, if you're a Christian, you will never face it. The judgment seat of Christ, however, is also known as the Bema seat, a.k.a. Bema seat. Historically, it was a raised platform where civic judges would decide cases. Or like the platform at the Olympics where you get the gold, silver, or bronze medal. You step up on this platform. Scripturally, it's a place where each Christian will one day stand before Jesus. We will give an accounting for our life. The Bible says that. How we lived for Jesus, how we served him. We are not judged for our sins at the Bema seat. Your sins are already taken care of. What you are evaluated for and what is judged in your life is how you lived. And when we use the word judge, we don't always mean condemnation. When we use the word judge, it means we're, we're deciding between this and that and the other thing. Do I want the Ford or do I want the Chevy? I'm going to judge them. It's not that I'm rejecting the Chevy, it's just that I'm choosing the Ford. Whatever the case is. Yeah, we'll keep the... Okay, Ford on this side. No, no, no. Don't, when you think about judgment seat, the people in the Olympics, think about this. You know, when they're standing up on the, on the platform, gold, silver, and bronze, they don't take, you know, if there's 10 guys that are running the 100-meter dash and three guys come in first, second, and third, they don't take the other seven out to the firing squad. They don't do that. There's just three that won and that are getting rewards and they excelled over others and it's just simply being recognized. And I believe in some ways that's the essence of the Bema Seat, though I think there's more. There are particulars of the Bema Seat. Let's work through our passage here. Verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. By the word, when I, when I use the word Bema, or Bema really, I think it is in the Greek, when you see judgment seat in English, if you look in the Greek, it just has one word, Bema. Bema is that judgment seat. So I'll go back and forth. It's the same thing. Who will appear before the Bema seat? We must all appear. Every single Christian will appear. If you claim the name of Christ, if you see yourself as a follower of Jesus, you have an appointment with Jesus at that place in the future. You have an appointment with the Lord that each one may receive. Once again, that each one may receive. The Bema seat is inclusive of every Christian that has ever lived. All of us will stand before the Lord and this event will take place. Verse 10, it says, we must all appear. That word appear there means to be made manifest and, and most of the commentators that I read said this, our motives and service will be seen in truth. It's not that just that you, that you appear, but it's, it's that what you are is clearly seen. You know, we can appear uh, here at church or we can appear at work or something, but what we are isn't always clearly seen. We just show up. The Bema seat isn't just showing up. The Bema seat is showing up and being known. Everything is known. All the motives, all the actions, good and bad, and we're going to examine those words in a moment, 
Everything is made clear. So there's no, it's like this, this heavenly x-ray. Like you can go to the doctor and he can look at you and say, well, you look healthy. And then he takes an x-ray and goes, oh man, there's a problem. Or the x-ray says, oh no, there's no problem at all. It says one or the other. So the Bema seed isn't just about the unsavory things or the things that are useless and worthless in the kingdom of God. It's also about the good stuff. It's just a manifestation of who you are. Look at the Believer's Bible commentary. There's a note there. Not just a matter of appearing there, but of being made manifest. It is one thing to appear in a doctor's office, quite another thing to be x-rayed by him there. The Bema seat will reveal our lives of service for Christ exactly as they have been. Not only the amount of service, but also its quality, even the very motives that prompted it will be brought into review. So I thought about uh, an athlete, a, a runner. An athlete wins a race and everybody's impressed. Think, think, think Olympics, think Hussein Bolt or somebody like that, world-class athlete. Later, it's, later on, it's discovered that they use illegal drugs to, to enhance their performance. So they win the gold medal. They're standing up on the platform. They get the gold medal. Later on, it's revealed, oh, he was doping. So previously, everyone's impressed. Now they see him as a cheater. Why? Because the reality of what he did was revealed, and the reality of what he did was that he did it illegally. And so it was made manifest that he did it illegally. His medal's taken away. He's ashamed, sorry. He suffers loss. He gains nothing. He's regretful. What's the loss that he suffers? It's the embarrassment. He was putting on a charade. He let people think that he just won because he's naturally a great runner, but in fact he was using illegal you know, performance-enhancing drugs. So the loss that he suffers is the humiliation. Once again, they don't take him out and lock him up. I don't think, do they? Do they lock up people? Yeah. Remember the Lance Armstrong thing that happened? Wow, I mean, this guy was like every, everybody's poster boy of, of a great athlete, overcame testicular cancer, all this kind of stuff, found out that he was doping. Suddenly he was like losing his endorsements and all of that. He didn't go to jail. He just suffered great loss. There was loss that was suffered. He wasn't everything he pretended to be. Conversely, another athlete wins his race. He's tested clean for drugs. He can rightly enjoy his reward. He can celebrate his reward. He did it, he did it legally and honestly and didn't have to pretend about anything. And the Bema Sea will, will be all about us being made manifest for who we are. The words good or bad there, they can also be translated useful or useless, good or good for nothing, right or wrong. So when we stand before the Lord, I can say, hey Lord, did you see that time I did X, Y, Z? And he says, Bill... XYZ was useless. I don't get anything? No, you don't get anything for that. How about ABC? Oh, ABC was good. XYZ, you wasted money and time. It's that kind of thing. I, one commentator I read said, you can, have a, you can be a Christian and still have a wasted life. You don't want to have a wasted life. I don't want to have a wasted life. You might, have, you might feel like you have a wasted life and kind of stay at home and, and stay away from people and even self-medicate or something like that. But the, you know, it's beautiful that the Bible says that God's mercies are what every morning? And they're new. You can, have a, you can have a start over every single day with Jesus Christ. I love that. Get out of bed. Okay, here we go. We're going for it again. You just, you just start all over. 
You can't undo all the back stuff. But moving forward, you can go, Lord, I have an appointment with you. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to live for me. I want to live for you. He says the things done in the body, it just simply means during, during our mortal lifetime on earth. Turn your page over. What's going to be judged? Here's some of the things that are going to be judged. Our motives will be judged. Whether they are worthy of reward or not. Sometimes we do the right thing for the wrong reason. We could want recognition, we could want advancement, that kind of thing. I got permission from from my wife Debbie last night to share a hypothetical untrue situation. Okay. May I emphasize hypothetical untrue. Okay. Uh, Our church sponsors uh, conferences in South Baja for the last 15 years for pastors and church leaders. And so, you know, we're gone about 11 or 12 days, a lot of traveling, probably travel three or 4,000 miles by air and by car. I mean, it's, it's a lot. By the end, I come home and I'm tired, you know. And some people might say, oh, Bill, it's amazing what you do and you had the vision for it and, man, those people are getting blessed and they are getting blessed. And, wow, the churches are just, man, they appreciate what you're doing. You're, you know, building up the, so on and so forth. And I could go, yeah, I know. I just, yeah, you know, you know. When in reality, hypothetical untrue, I just need a break from my wife. Hypothetical untrue. I don't need a break from my wife. But I could be going on missions trips, spending church money, and, and, and a big motivating factor could be, I just got to get out of Napa for a while. These people are driving me crazy. My wife's driving me crazy. My dog's driving me crazy, you know. And then I go before the Lord. I did conferences. Yeah, you did them for the wrong reason. You did it for yourself. But people got blessed. Yeah, they sure did. I can even use an insincere man like you. I could go to Mexico and do all this work and people are genuinely blessed. But I get nothing if my heart's wrong. You with me? Hypothetical and true, okay? I don't want to see something on Facebook now, okay? 1 Corinthians 4. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. The Corinthians were judging him. In fact, I do not even judge myself. I know of nothing against myself. As far as I know, Paul says, I've got a right, right attitude. Yet I'm not justified by this. He who judges me is the Lord. Where? At the Bema seat. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and notice, reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. You might be doing something conversely that people are saying, oh, they're doing it just to get attention. But, but you're really not. And ten people see you and nine of them think you're just doing it to get attention. But you're thinking, Lord, I thank you that you know that I'm not doing this to get attention. I'm doing this because I think you really want me to. And you go to the Bema seat and the Lord goes, here's this reward for this. And everybody's going, I thought he was doing it to get attention. And the Lord goes, no, he had a right heart. So it works both ways. Our motivation will be rewarded when it's right or if it wasn't right, we get nothing. We wasted time, energy, money, resources. We, we wasted opportunities to be doing something that could have been rewarded. The quality of our works will be judged. 
Not the person will be judged. The quality of our work will be judged. An abundance of activity doesn't always equate to a heavenly quality of work. There are people in Christian ministry, from pastors on down to whatever else, or on up to whatever else, there are people involved in the body of Christ that are busy doing stuff, and some of it's just, the Lord might be saying, what are you doing? That's not what I want to have happen, and that doesn't represent me, and that's not true, and and you're saying things about me that aren't true, and you're acting in ways that don't reflect my holiness, and all these things. What are you doing? Well, our church is really busy. We're doing a lot of things. And he goes, yeah, but it's not about me. Notice, 1 Corinthians 3.10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Paul's talking about establishing the church at Corinth. He was their spiritual father. Another man builds on it. He stayed for 18 months and other pastors came. But let each one take heed on how he builds it, for no other foundation can be laid than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear. When? The Bema seat. The day will declare it. It will be revealed by fire. The fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. A pastor could stand before the Lord and say, Lord, I did all these things and I had all these people come forward and all these altar calls and all these multitudes of people and everything like that. And the Lord says, yeah, but you know, you never took care of them. You never discipled them. You never loved them. You never checked up on them. I mean, it's not every evangelist's job to check on every single person, but there could be apparently very religious work going on and it's wood, hay, and straw. Done for the wrong reason, maybe people being manipulated to come forward and we're going we're gonna to get, we're not, we're not leaving here until everybody's come forward and we're going to do this and pastors can be great at manipulating crowds. You know, you've seen it, I've seen it. And everybody gets emotional, a lot of things happen, but then when it goes before the Lord and passes through the fire, it's wood, hay, and stubble, and it's just up in smoke. And the, Lord, and, and the, the, the man could say, and I'm talking about pastors, that's where my head's at, the man could say, we had 6,000 people make professions of faith. Where's my reward for 6,000? He goes, I can give you a reward for 30. Because you manipulated the other 5,970. You manipulated them. I can't reward you for manipulation. Verse 14, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Where? The Bema seat. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. It's not a loss of salvation, it's a loss of reward. The pastor with the big ministry, and I'll just take shots at pastors, I don't mind that rather deflected away from me, you know. Pastor with this big, huge ministry, international, yada, yada, he stands before the Lord and just says, man, that was a lot of, Jesus says to him, that was a lot of smoke down there. A lot of smoke. Everything went up in flames. The work that you do, it needs to be according to, to, the, to the truth of God. It needs to be with the right heart. It needs to be without manipulation. It needs to be done by the Spirit. It needs to be not by your cleverness. There's a lot of applications there. I trust that the the Spirit of God will just minister to you beyond what time allows here for me to make suggestions. Letter E there, we will give an account for our life, and the word account means explanation or discussion. That that places a holy chill in my spine. (laughs) You know, I have to give an account for my life. Debbie and I were discussing this last night. Does it mean a lot of regrets or this or that? 
I think we're going to be simultaneously amazed that God rewards us for anything. And at the same time, we're going to be going, oh boy, I was sure stupid about that one, wasn't I? And I don't know which one's going to be greater or lesser. we're, We're not told. But I think if we go to stand before the Lord and, and, he, and we're expecting something and he goes, I can't, I, can't, I can't reward you for that. Man, you have the wrong attitude. We're just going to go, oh, you know, oh man, I'm so sorry. I knew I had the wrong attitude. I'm sorry. And then he'll say, but I can reward you for this. And you go, that? Yeah, you did a great job with that. That was fantastic. Really? I think it's going to probably be just a mixture of both things. I, I'm guessing. We're not told, you know. It's kind of like you've been called to the principal's office and you don't know what to expect, you know? Sometimes when I call people, I, I'm the pastor, right? I think you guys didn't know that. Sometimes when I call people, I, I, I text them or something. I'll say, don't worry, nothing's wrong. Can you call me? Like, you're not in trouble, you know? You're not in trouble with the principal, you know, kind of thing. You guys, are, you guys that way too? You get a call. I, I ran into a really well-known pastor about a month ago and he said, hey, he's part of the Calvary Chapel movement. He goes, hey, we should have breakfast. I go, yeah. And then as I walked away, I go, what if I'm in trouble? <laughs> I'm going to be disqualified. Oh my gosh, I better look for another job. I wonder if I can drive a limo. Or say, well, I'm fired. You know, Our minds can go there, right? I don't know how it's going to be, but there's going to be an accounting given. Romans 14 None of us lives to himself, no one dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be the Lord of both the living and the dead, dead and the living. But why do you judge your brother? Why do you show contempt for your brother? So this is real negative, condemning kind of judgment. For we shall stand before the judgment seat of Christ. There it is again. We shall stand before the Bema seat. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us shall give account of himself to God. really want to encourage you and maybe even use the word warn you. Don't be quick to, to, to think you know people's hearts and attitudes. There are some people that we might be likely to condemn in our hearts when, when they're right on, the, right on the bullseye with the Lord. They're going to stand before the Lord. I'm going to stand before the Lord. I need to just be concerned about the fact that I will give an account of my life. Once again, it's not about salvation. It's about how I did with what God gave me. God is faithful as we move down here. By the way, happy to receive any text questions. If you have them, I'll do my best to answer them. God is faithful to take note of our works of faith. God sees, guys, the things that you're doing. When nobody else sees it, when you come early, when you stay late, when you're being patient with someone and everybody else says, quit dealing with that person. Just write them off. They'll never change. And you just have this thing in your heart. It's like, no, I think God wants me to love them and stay, stay at it with them. And, and you know, people are just going, oh, you're just wasting your time and all of that. God sees and he appreciates the known things that we do and the unknown things by other people that we do. But he knows them all. Look at Hebrews 6. God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love which you have shown towards his name and that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. God is not unjust. He is just. That means he does the right thing. He does the right thing. How does he do the right thing? To not forget your work and labor of love. 
And I think there's going to be things where maybe we've even forgotten. Every once in a while, somebody will come up to me and said, remember that time you... Uh, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back because if I do, then I'll lose the reward. So, <laughs> you remember that time you uh, lent me some money and helped me, and you drove me across in town? And blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I remember that. Oh no, it was, man, it was a life-defining moment for me, and really changed my life. And you really rescued me. And I didn't tell you at the time, but I was thinking about suicide and blah blah blah. And you did this, and that, and I'm like, oh, if you say so. Sure. Was it, was it my evil twin brother that looks just like me? Or it was me? Okay. And I get before the Lord and he goes, Hey, Bill, back, that guy, I don't remember him, Lord. Well, here's your reward. He doesn't forget. Nobody saw it. Nobody knew. Maybe it was misunderstood. But the Lord, the Lord is just. Look at Ephesians 6. Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh as with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord, not to men. This whole thing is about not being a man pleaser, but being a God pleaser. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, notice verse 8, knowing that whatever good anyone does, how, what, what kind of good? Whatever good. Glass of cold water in the name of Jesus. Bologna sandwich in the name of Jesus. That whatever good you do, seeing somebody and you're kind of in a hurry but you, th- you think, I need to go give them a hug. You go back and give them a hug. Whatever you do, any little thing, any big thing, any unseen thing, that don't, you slip somebody some money nobody knows, God knows. And he appreciates it and will reward you knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord whether he's slave or free. You masters, do the same thing to them. Give up threatening knowing that you're own master also is in heaven. There's no partiality with him. He rewards every act of faith that has a good motive. Not for ourselves, but for the glory of God. Hebrews 11.6 Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Those who come to God must believe that he is and that he, that he is a what? Say it. Rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Not only in this life, but in the next. So we want to do these things in faith. Preparing for the Bema Seat. How do I get ready for this? Well, number one, you want to avoid the great white throne judgment. (laughs) So if you're not a believer in Jesus, again, I want you to just consider the brief time that I spent explaining that event and what it means to be saved. Secondly, repent of wrong motives. Agree with God here and now. Interesting verse. I'm not totally sure about this verse, but I'm going to throw it out at you for your consideration. 1 Corinthians 11. If we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. It's in the context of communion. But the Apostle Paul is simply saying, be honest with God about yourself. Now I was thinking trying to put it in human terms and I'm not sure about this but I'm just suggesting this to you. You get called to the principal's office and you were pulling somebody's hair and fighting and bullying and all these other things and you can show up at the principal's office and go, did not, yes you did, did not, yes you did, we have video, did not and then finally it's just like, it's obvious you did. And this is after this big long humiliating argument and all this kind of stuff Or you could just show up to the principal's office and go, you know what, principal? Here's what I did wrong. I'm guilty. And he just goes, okay. We're done. 
I'm not sure how that works out, but I'm just thinking we should be agreeing with God right now anyway, shouldn't we? You have a bad attitude with somebody? Why don't you agree with God about it and repent? Or if you want to defend your bad attitude, you can talk to him about it at the Bema seat. Your call. I'd rather do it now. How about you? I have a bad attitude, Lord. I'm selfish, but whatever the case. You know what, Lord? I want to agree with you. Your Holy Spirit's telling me and I'm pushing you. No, I have a bad attitude. I agree with you now. I'd rather agree with him now than then. It's better for my life anyway. A couple more things and we're done. Be a, a couple more things and we're going to end with a song and some questions. Be a God pleaser, not a man pleaser. Whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the what? Reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Be deliberate about pleasing God. Paul started with verse 9, therefore we make it our aim. Why do we make it our aim? Because there's, this, because there's a judgment coming. Because I have an appointment with Jesus. I want, to, I want to be pleasing to him because I'll have to give an account for my life. And also because, verse 11, I know the terror of the Lord, the judgment upon the unbelieving world. Therefore, I make it my aim. And then finally, in all of this, remember that we don't deserve anything anyway, not one thing. And it's amazing that the Lord would reward us about anything, don't you think? There is, a, there is a passage in Revelation 4. I don't know if it's strong enough to use as a proof text, but it says the elders and the living creatures around the throne of God, they've received crowns from the Lord and emblematically, sim- symbolically, they represent the church and they take those th- crowns and throw them back before the Lord. You guys, you guys know the passage, Revelation 4? Those are sim- symbolically, as I understand it, crowns, they're rewards, and they take the rewards that they did in faith. We don't, we don't deserve anything from the Lord, but he rewards us for acts of faith, right motivation. And when we get to heaven, what are you going to praise him with? What he's rewarded you for. And you throw it back to him. You know, it just occurred to me, that when you get to be before the Lord, and you want to praise him, don't you want to have more to praise him with? Here's my crown. <laughs> John Corson has a funny little saying. He says, in heaven, every Christian's cup will be full. Some will be like thimbles, and some will be like swimming pools. But they'll all be full. Here's my crown, Lord. Here's my crowns, Lord. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Any questions? Oh, is there something unique about dying in the sea? It just sounds awful. <laughs> Other than that, no. Why did that one type of death need to be singled out in Revelation 20:13? It may be because the Jewish people had a tremendous fear of the ocean, and that that may, it may culturally it may be that that's one way you really don't want to die as a Jewish person. So just, that's just a bit of an educated guess. What is the best way to witness to a Jehovah Witness? That's a long answer. I'll post a link on the Facebook page. But the best way to, uh, to witness to a Jehovah Witness is with the Word of God and probably milk and cookies. Cold glass of water. Cold glass of water. 
with, with true love. We don't, want to, we don't want to win battles and verbal arguments. We want to win people to Jesus. Do your homework. I have a lot of notes in the back of my Bible that my, a friend of mine studied, Jehovah's Witness Organization, and has a lot of verses. Guys, this stuff is very available online. Uh, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'll put a link on our Facebook page. But if you Google that, you can keep busy for a month. But that's a great question. If Paul was writing to all Christians with the Israelites from ages past prior to the birth, if Paul was writing to all Christians, will the Israelites from ages past prior to the birth of Christ stand before the bema? The bema, from what I understand, not an airtight response, is for the for the the church in the age of grace. That's my understanding. Don't even know how strongly I could support that, but that's what I picked up on so far. Good question. What reward is greater than heaven? He- heaven is, is, is the great reward because Jesus is there. Yeah. What about the scripture that talks about God not remembering our sins as far as the east is from the west? He will remember them no more. Will he bring up our sins to us? How does this tie into what you are teaching us this morning? Good question. When, God's, when it says that God... I think it says he separates our sins as far as the east is from the west. Does it say separate or remember? Anybody, anybody know? Sep- does it say separate? Well, we're a smart group, aren't we? <laughs> say it again, Marshall. He casts them as far as the east is from the west. So that's different than remembering. And by the way, God can't forget anything anyway. So it's impossible for him to get forget. That would mean he's less than perfect. So it's metaphorical, illustrative language of I'm choosing to not hold those things against you. That's really the explanation there. Um, Will he bring up our sins to us? Our life will be, Debbie and I had this discussion last night, it's it's tough to know all these these final details. If If I'm giving an account of my life to the Lord and the word account also means discussion or explanation, some things are going to come up. I'm not going to be condemned for anything. There may be things that are put before me where I had an opportunity to do something and it's shown that I missed an opportunity and I'll be conscious being and and it very well may be that I just feel a lot of regret in that moment. It's like, wow, I'm sorry I missed that one, didn't I? Yeah, you missed it. Let's keep moving, you know. I don't think it's God's intention to destroy us emotionally. I don't think the the Bema Seat is about dragging us over broken glass. But it is an accounting. And Paul said, because it's true, I make it my aim to be pleasing to him. I don't want to waste my life. Some of these questions are good, but they're quite honestly unanswerable. What do you know for sure? Don't waste your life. That's what you know for sure. What greater reward could we receive in heaven than God himself and maybe a new bushcraft knife? There you go.